Bom bom bits, a bowl full of chips. Bom bom bits, with Chappy and Pip. Bom bom bits, two young brothers. Bom bom bits, talking college football. Bom bom bits, and life and humor. And some funny ass clips. So relax and unwind with a bowl full of chips. All you chippers, welcome back to A Bowl Full of Chips, the college football show that gives you insight and info, news and notes, and a sprinkling of humor in life. I am Chappie, and I am joined by my co-host, Bip Poppy. Bip, how you doing, Slugger? Chappie, I am feverishly trying to watch the entire Game of Thrones series before the finale happens so that it's not <laughs> ruined for me uh, like The Sopranos was a long time ago. So I burned through about six seasons and just about three weeks or so, and I should be on schedule to watch the finale in real time. So nice. not a whole lot going on in, in my world outside of that, uh, but uh, how's life in Chappie's world? Well, Bipster, Chappie's world is kind of like Bobby's world. A lot of things going on, people telling me what to do, but I'm just trying to enjoy it like a kid and make it all work with some laughter and a smile, man. <laughs> hey, Bobo. Hey. <laughs> Uncle Ted. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, thanks again for joining us here on BFC. And while we know you'll be getting what you want, we ask that you help us bring that to others as well. And it's real easy. Just text, tweet, or email our link and share with all those you know who love college football like you do. Maybe more, maybe less. We also encourage you to interact with us on Twitter. I am at champion underscore lit. And I am at BFC BIP. And as always, we remind you, you can also send emails to bowlfulofchips at gmail.com. So as purveyors of college football knowledge, Bip and I stay tuned on the relevant happenings in the collegiate world on and off the gridiron as it relates to the players, coaches, programs, conferences, and yes, even the big bad NCAA. So from time to time, we will take a cast and run down the major events from the previous week or two. And that's what we have for you now. Uh, so this is really just a, a a light snack of a bowl full of chips, but uh Bip and I, we're going we're gonna to break down the news and notes from the last couple of weeks, which includes the ever-popular transfer portal. So, uh, Bipster, let's start in Happy Valley. So, um, James Franklin this week is denying any rumors of him not staying at Penn State, saying, quote, I'm in an unbelievable situation here. Um, but, you know, my thoughts on this are, you know, his, uh, his name has been linked with the USC job with Clay Helton pretty much needing to win 12 games and a Pac-12 championship and go to a, uh, uh, you know, at least a New Year's Six Bowl this year for him to keep his job. So, um, mm -hmm. you know, I, I have to wonder, he says he's in an unbelievable situation, but you know what also makes something unbelievable in the college coaching world? Money and a chance to coach in a much <laughs> less uh, or a, a much more manageable division like the Pac-12 South as opposed to um, probably the, the heaviest conference outside of the SEC, and that is the Big Ten East BIP. So I don't know. What are your thoughts on, on Coach Franklin? Do you, are you buying it, or are you, is this just a temporary positive PR move, um, and then uh, if the job opens up, he might be gone? Well, like you said, you know what everyone could use? Ma money. Ma money. But 
Um, you know, he's been linked to open NFL jobs in the past, and he, he even coached the receivers uh, for the Packers in 05, I think. But I don't think the NFL game suits him, um, which which leads you to what you were mentioning. USC seems like it could be tailor fit or tailor made for someone like him that uh, it already has an upper upper echelon job, but uh, could be looking to move on to the next big thing. And I agree that the Pac-12 South would be much easier than uh, the Big Ten East. However, um, I don't see him leaving for the Pac-12. Yeah. Even if money comes calling, he's always recruited uh, and coached on the East Coast and, and now in the Midwest. He doesn't really have any recruiting ties on the West Coast. And, um, you know, that that's kind of, you know, the main lifeblood of coaching at USC would be uh, recruiting in the state of um, California. And while the Pac-12 South is is much easier than the Big Ten East, he's also got uh, potentially much less margin for error because if you go from uh, Penn State to USC, people are going to expect you to win, and they're going to expect you to win immediately. And Kevin Sumlin and Kip, uh, Chip Kelly kind of showed last year that the Pac-12 is no cakewalk um, just because you have past success in your coaching history. Yeah. And, you know, the other thing, too, is um, I'm, I'm getting more and more of a sense that Coach Franklin, um, he, he kind of likes to be in the spotlight and being on the West Coast. You know, those games are going to be toward the, the latter end of the day. Now, USC is a little bit of an exception to that. They will typically um, either play, you know, if they're playing at night, they're going to be on national TV um, or they, they tend to go with some of those earlier games. So, you know, four o'clock kickoff out there, seven o'clock out here. Um, on the East coast. Um, mm-hmm. so, but again, scheduling is, is out of his hands out there. And, and I honestly see him, uh, if he's going to leave, he's going to go to the NFL and, and maybe take that next step in his, his coaching challenge and, and see if he can trod the path that many college coaches who have been successful, um, at the collegiate level have really fallen into, uh, gator filled swamps in, in the NFL and, and they've come back. I mean, even we all know right. the great Steve Spurrier and the great Nick Saban, um, fell about as hard on their faces as any successful NCAA coach has. So, um, and, and I don't think the NFL game suits him. I mean, he may try, I, I agree with you. I think he may try, but mm-hmm. I, I think that, uh, you know, he, he's definitely not the best game manager that there no. is in the NCAA, NCAA and perhaps his strongest, his strongest trait is recruiting, which would be useless to him uh, in the NFL. So right. I, I don't think that the NFL game suits him at all. Yeah. And I, I could see him wanting to make the jump, but I think that that would be um, a, a terrible hire for any prospective uh, NFL team. And here's a little curveball at you. Um, if Jim Harbaugh decides that he's going to go to the NFL and um, you know just decides I, I've tried it at Michigan, it's just not working the way I wanted to, do you see Franklin possibly making that lateral move going to Ann Arbor? Um, you know, if, if that job opens uh, up, I, I would say I would strongly uh, suggest to anyone that would potentially move into that vacancy at Michigan yeah. to watch your step because anyone Especially that if you're comes not a Michigan in after, man. right. And, and anyone that comes in after Harbaugh, if Harbaugh is not fired and leaves on his own accord to go to the NFL, mm-hmm. You got a lot of uh, you have some big shoes to fill, you know, say what you want about his success or maybe lack thereof at Michigan so far. Yeah. But 
we, you and I both know, Chappie, that the folks in Ann Arbor and the areas surrounding it in the state of Michigan love Jim Harbaugh. So <laughs> anyone that goes in has a tall task to uh, replace him. So yeah. I think because of that, I think Franklin would stay at Penn State. Um, and, and I mean, especially if you're staying within the division. Right. Um, I think he shies away from that. Yep. No, I, I agree. It just, it kind of crossed my mind last second. And, and, you know, the other thing too, is I, I think he's kind of been burning a lot of bridges in the big 10 anyway. And, and he's a yeah. guy that doesn't really care what people think of him. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then again, you know, it's, it's a different ball game when, when opportunity presents itself. And, um, you know, he, he's certainly somebody who does not shy away from challenges. So. Sure. Um, well, Jeppy, uh, next bit of news that we have a uh, sad note, uh, head, uh, former head coach of Hawaii and Arizona, Dick Tomey passed away with his, uh, after his battle with lung cancer last week. Yeah. Uh, so those of you that don't know, Tomey was uh, head coach at Hawaii where he won 63 games, uh, also coached at Arizona, had 95 wins there, including a 10 win and a 12 win season in 93 and 98, respectively. Mm-hmm. In the 98 season, they finished number four overall. Their only loss was to then number three team in the country, UCLA. And Chappie, do you happen to know who the OC was that year when uh, uh, it, it was actually that, that offensive coordinator's first year as an offensive coordinator? At Arizona? At Arizona. Oh, I do know it, and um, I'm drawing a blank, so help me out here, Bip. Dino Babers. Yeah, that's right. Okay. So. Yep, and, and that's, that's, yeah, that's when he really started to, because, you know, a lot of people, when he, when he got to, uh, even before he got to Syracuse, when he got the head coaching job at Bowling Green, people were mm-hmm. like, um, you know, oh, who's this new guy? And it's like, well, no, if you've been around the, the game of college football, you kind of know that name for his offensive prowess. So, right, um, right. yeah, good bit of it. Good bit of info there, Bip. Well, this is something that I know that you and I are both going to enjoy. And this kind of came out hot off the press today. But um, the NCAA says it's going to at least talk about the idea of allowing players to benefit from their likeness um, and possibly profit from their, uh, you know, their quote unquote identity, i.e. video games and autographs. So it's it's a long way away from paying players, which I'm not going to touch, but um you know, it, it does kind of open the door to um, relieving some of this tension between athletes and, and pseudo unions for student athletes. Um, right. You know, but I think the biggest thing is all of the NCAA college football video game fans, which Woo-hoo. basically is all, yeah, all of college football uh, kingdom. This is a step in the right direction, you know, and right. um it, 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 it once again shows the power of, uh, you know, the gaming consoles and it shows the power of the purse because, um, I mean, everybody stands to make out on that one and people will argue, well, you know, the players have been exploited and whatnot. But I mean, honestly, uh, when I was at CMU uh, and, and kind of chumming around with some of the football players, they thought it was the coolest thing in the world that their likeness oh, was yeah. on a video game. Exactly. And with the exception of a very, very, very small minority, I, I don't believe that um, NCAA football players saw those video games as a, as a slap in the face, like, Hey, this is not right. You know, they're making money off of me. It's, it's kind of <laughs> that first step into uh celebrity dumb, if you will. Um, and you know, statistics will show that about 95% of all college football players really don't make it beyond the collegiate level anyway. So that's about as far as they get. 
Um, and so in my opinion, it's kind of like, you know, uh, enjoy it while it lasts and, and, and take what you can get. But uh, this is at least a, a good step in the right direction, not only for the athletes and, you know, giving them some sort of latitude to, um, right. you know, to, to have a, an early start of a financial career, but also um, to, to kind of enjoy this and, and get that celebrity status back um, that was kind of taken away from them wrongfully. Yeah. And I'm interested to know how, what happens with this. Cause I, I don't think that they should be able to earn money off of their likeness for a generic football player. Now we all know that the characteristics are tilted towards who the actual players are. And EA sports did a great job of doing that. But mm-hmm. the fact that someone like Sam Keller, former Arizona state quarterback would sue <laughs> EA sports. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Be a, a DB like that. And I don't mean uh-huh. defensive back. Um, right. <laughs> And and Sue, when, you know, yeah, exactly. Like you said, even going into that year when Sam Keller was one of the, you know, top 20, 30 quarterbacks in the country, the majority of people would be like, I'm not buying NCAA so I can play as Sam Keller. Yeah. Um, But I I do like the thought of uh, athletes being able to sell their autograph or sell some merchandise of their, you know, not merchandise. memorabilia of theirs i mean Mm -hmm. they're playing um and even like the the that even kind of appeases some of the highly talented or highly touted freshmen that come in that haven't made it yet and haven't proven anything yet but they can earn off of i mean they're signing pieces of paper they're signing photos they're signing uh pants and whatnot and you know i don't i don't see anything wrong with that um if that's how the ncaa wants to bend a little bit just so that way we don't get to the point of having to pay players um, from the the money allotted from the NCAA. Yeah, and and for all those uh, really really staunch conservative uh, college football fans, um, like I said, I don't think that this is a any step in the direction of paying the players. I think it's I think you're right. You know, we do live in a free market economy, and um, if you have the the foresight to um, you know, have some ingenuity to, to make something off of. And if people are willing to pay you for it, then, Mm -hmm. you know, that's, that's cool. But, um, you know, it's, it's not the direct act of giving them money based on their performance on the field. Um, because that just, (coughs) excuse me. I mean, we see, we see how contract negotiations have really, uh, muddied up professional sports and how it ties things up. And, you know, I remember, um, as a sports fan, you know, pretty much all my life, the worst news you can hear is, you know, an impending strike. So the 94 baseball strike was one of the worst moments in sports history in my life because um, it was a whole season without a national pastime. And I'll be honest with you, after that point, I started to lose interest in the game. I mean, granted, I still enjoy it, but it's yeah. never been the same since that strike. Same thing with the NHL strike back. And I think it was like uh, 2002 or 2003. Yep. Um, I mean that it hurt that game. So that, that um, just about crippled the NHL. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And someone named Bettman uh, had something to do with it too. Oh, and by the way, Sam Keller, I got news for you. Even the the biggest diehard uh, Arizona State fan, if they got that game, guess what? They're creating their own likeness and they're putting themselves as a 99 rated quarterback. And you're on the bench, buddy. So <laughs> right. um, nobody's nobody's buying the game to be you, nor are they buying the game to be anybody else. They they want to be themselves because we are we live in an ego driven society. So I digress. <laughs> yeah. How much you want to bet that he still plays that game every day as Arizona State and uh, runs up the score? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Color rules. <laughs> 
Well, Chappie, uh, next bit of information. We're going to go to Gainesville and some interesting things going on uh, as yeah. they're losing uh, some players at a USC rate. Um, so the mm-hmm. first and foremost, um, Florida defensive back Chris Steele, um, he was actually a, an early enrollee freshman, a five-star according to some uh, recruiting services has opted to transfer and he's already chosen to go to the university of Oregon. So a big yep. uh, gain for the ducks there. Mm-hmm. He, um, this all stemmed from, he felt uncomfortable rooming with his uh, roommate, Jalen Jones, who is a, I believe a fellow freshman uh, quarterback. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, turns out that um, a little bit after this request came uh, to the university, uh, Jones was accused of sexual assault of a couple female students. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, um, I'm not sure. I'm pretty sure it's the university's response. They, instead of moving, uh, steel immediately, they said they'll get around to it in the summer. So mm-hmm. yep. obviously he didn't, uh, take that too well and put his name in the transfer portal and has already, um, taken off. And this is something that was an easy fix for the Gators that they really dropped the ball on. So now they miss out on a very talented defensive back who's in for the spring and could have uh, provided some great depth in the fall. Mm-hmm. And I would assume that he's going to apply for a hardship waiver. And I think he's got a great chance of it being approved because he felt uncomfortable rooming with someone that allegedly did something that he doesn't stand for. Um, and it seems like he should have a great opportunity to to get on the field this uh, this fall for the Ducks. Yeah, and and not only that, but um, he went to the coaching staff and said, "Can you please do something about this?" And yeah, uh, they kind of took the path of least resistance and said, "Well, the spring semester is almost done. Let's you know just just make it work, and we'll we'll look at it in the summer." And uh, I mean, that's shame on the coaching staff, whoever was in charge of that. You know, I'm not I'm not blaming Dan Mullen. I'm not blaming any particular coach, but. Um, yeah. you know, the story that came out, uh, reported that it was, it was brought to their attention and they, they didn't, uh, they didn't fix the problem. So, um, you know, not only him, but Jalen Jones has put his name in the transfer portal. Uh, mm-hmm. but he's got bigger issues if, <laughs> if this, uh, goes, you know, into the, into the court systems. Um, they also recently lost four-star linebacker, Dewan Black, who opted to leave for a junior college. So, uh, and then there's defensive back, Brian Edwards, who was arrested on misdemeanor battery charge. Um, so though that's four guys right there who were just in, in one, uh, well, three guys in one recruiting class and then, and then a defensive back. And Oh, by the way, recently, as of a few hours ago, it was reported that their leading rusher from last year, LaMichael Pirine may be charged with battery, but here's where I, I kind of, uh, scratch my head on this one. The story goes that, um, someone in his family was having their car towed and, he went up to the the driver of the tow truck and put his hand on his arm to try and um, prevent him from getting into the car. You know, you could assume that maybe he was just trying to talk to the guy and say, "Look, can we can we figure this out? You know, we'll go get you some money. We'll 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 do this. You know, you don't need to tow right. this person's car." But you know, granted, nobody has the right to put their hands on somebody else unwanted. But is this really something that's going to need to go through uh, the legal system? Yeah. Um, you would hope that the tow truck driver would just not press charges and, you know, chalk it up as, all right, this was a one-time incident, um, not a big deal, because sadly, this is the way our society works. Uh, the name of that tow truck driver is going to get out, and you don't want to piss off a bunch of angry Gator fans um, for something <laughs> that is, you know, seen probably by most as, as a petty uh, injunction. Now, again, I wasn't there. Um, this is all just speculation, but um, if that's yeah. if that's something that's going to be 
needing to be dealt with by the coaching staff. This is a lot to go on in really the span of about two weeks heading into the summer months. For sure. So um, a couple other things uh, just to, to touch on real quick. Um, Michigan State got six years of eligibility granted by the NCAA for punter Jake Hartbarger and wide receiver slash punt returner Brandon Sowards. Now, Hartbarger uh, was a, you know, will be a four-year starting punter. He got hurt early in the year last year, which made it easy to get a medical hardship waiver. Um, Sowards as well. Uh, he played this season, but, you know, I want to say his redshirt freshman year, sophomore year uh, was out with injury and, and the NCAA looked at it and said he didn't play in enough games to really qualify as a full eligibility year. Um, so uh, Hartbarger averaged 42 yards per punt in 2017 and was one of the best in the Big Ten um, and was was averaging a little bit over that 48 yards per punt before getting hurt against Arizona State and um, Michigan State, in addition to the other woes that they had, punting was certainly one of them as they went through four different punters last season. Um, so kind of good news for the for the Spartans there. Yep. Um, and then one last thing, Georgia Tech uh, trying to make money and to try and, um, you know, boost everything that they can in terms of facilities and revenue and whatnot. They've made an agreement to play, start playing some of their home games at Mercedes-Benz Stadium, that gorgeous new facility out in Atlanta, home to the Falcons. Um, and it says that it's going to help them make over $10 million in the next few years. So certainly you, you don't want to look a gift horse in the mouth. And, the, and this is what new head coach Jeff Collins is doing. Some Georgia Tech fans and some college football fans say it kind of takes the purity out of the game. And, you know, there's a lot to be said about playing in your true home stadium on campus out at Bobby Dodd Stadium. But, you know, again, if, if you can get more butts in the seats, which is really what the athletic directors care most about, um, that's going to help you. And, and in turn, you know, if you're looking long term, this is a is a positive move for the for the Jackets. And what everyone in Atlanta, I'm sure, is excited about is Chick-fil-A will finally be open on a, at a regular basis at Mercedes-Benz <laughs> Stadium uh, That's right. when football is being played. Right. <laughs> well, let's jump over to the transfer portal, Bip. Um, it's, it's been heating up again recently. Uh, it was kind of on a little bit of a lull there for maybe about a week and a half, two weeks. But uh, mm -hmm. ooh, a lot of, a lot of movement. So we're going to kind of go position by position. So I'm going to break down and give you the names starting at quarterback and then, uh, you know, hit me with some of your thoughts. So first of all, Tommy Stevens, former quarterback at Penn state has put his name in the transfer portal. He has visited Illinois, Kentucky, and Mississippi state. Matthew Baldwin, who was at Ohio state and probably had the best spring game of all the quarterbacks on that team, um, has decided to transfer to TCU. So he was in the portal for about two weeks and ended up signing with Gary Patterson going down to Fort worth. Um, quarterback Sawyer Smith, who, really was a starter for the last eight games for Troy last season and ended his year with a monster bowl game, throwing for over 300 yards, four touchdowns and zero interceptions in a uh, bowl game victory for the Trojans. He ends up at Kentucky, which um, I think that's a, a positive move for him. We talked about some of the, uh, the questions at quarterback, especially if Terry Wilson goes down. Um, and then recently as of uh this morning, I believe Jarrett Dagey, who was a quarterback at Bowling Green, started 17 games for the Falcons. Uh, he's a was a pretty highly regarded recruit coming out of Texas. He's going over to West Virginia, going to Morgantown. He won't be eligible this season, but uh, he'll be able to compete in 2020 with uh, Austin Kendall, who was a recent transfer from Oklahoma. So those are some of the big names. Bip, any thoughts on those guys or or what you see um, coming? 
Yeah, I was really surprised by both Stevens and, uh, to a lesser extent, Baldwin. I thought Baldwin mm-hmm. may have stuck it out in case uh, Field struggles or gets hurt. Um, I, I I think that um, Mississippi State is the obviously the favorite for Tommy Stevens to go mm-hmm. back with uh, Coach Moorhead. But I think Illinois is a really interesting landing spot that could um, be a dark horse in this one as the influx of talent that they've added since the fall. Uh, of last year could be enticing and playing in the Big Ten West might be uh, more attractive to Stevens than going over to that uh, treacherous SEC West um, that he would for Mississippi State. Uh, Matthew Baldwin, he should be the favorite to win the starting job, in my opinion, and might be what the Horned Frogs need to be a serious contender in the Big 12 with Texas and Oklahoma. Sawyer Smith going to Kentucky was a little bit of a head scratcher to me as Terry Wilson kind of had his struggles last year. Overall, he had a good completion percentage, um, but uh, wasn't really the most efficient quarterback, but he had a really good spring game and he has a a year of starting experience and is only a junior this year without much of a high draft stock to my knowledge. Mm -hmm. So you figure he's going to be there for this year and next year. So when does Sawyer Smith see the field uh, at Kentucky compared to Troy? Um, So um not really sure what he was where he was going for in in transferring from Troy to Kentucky but I guess we'll see how that one plays out. Yeah, my my assumption is that uh with the the strong end of the season that he had last year at Troy, he had people in his ear saying, "Look, um you've got NFL size. Um your arm is really good. If you if you get some work at maybe a more prestigious university, uh, I, I think also Neil Brown leaving Troy had something to do with um, his departure there. So um, I, I honestly see it as a positive move for Smith because, you know, Terry Wilson, I know that they want to keep him in the pocket and have him be a, a more of a pro style passer at Kentucky, but that's not his game. I mean, he originally enrolled at Oregon um, and was seen as a dual threat guy. Uh, I think that that's in his nature. So he's, he's one, uh, one play away from, uh, putting the Wildcats in a in a situation where, uh, especially with the loss of Gunnar Hope transferring to Ohio State, uh, they really needed something. So I think it's a, a a fit. I think it's win for both the Wildcats and Sawyer Smith. And um, you know, I would not put it past Sawyer Smith to, you know, really push Terry Wilson to be a better player. Um, not saying that he wins the job this year or takes over the job unless there's injury, but um, mm-hmm. I wouldn't put it outside the realm of possibility with a year in the system, a year to to get stronger and possibly maybe uh, winning the job next year. And do we see Terry Wilson's name in the transfer portal in 2020? You know, sure. Heavy speculation, I know, but uh, you know, <laughs> I guess chalk it up. I'm a I'm a big Sawyer Smith fan, so um, okay, okay. <laughs> um, well. That's our quarterback. So a lot of receivers going into the portal as well. So we talked about Daigie going to West Virginia. They lose one of their best receivers, and that's Marcus Sims. Um, Just recently put his name into the portal a couple days ago. Um, Kanawe Noah, who uh, leaves Cal as a pretty good slot receiver going to Nebraska and joining uh, the Scott Frost regime. Martel Petway, who was in the transfer portal way back when it first opened in like uh, January, <laughs> has finally decided on a on a landing spot, and that's in Ames, Iowa, to go to Matt Campbell and the Iowa State Cyclones. Um, and that should help ease the loss of Hakeem Butler. Uh, McLean Mannix, who put himself in the transfer portal and ended up at Texas Tech a while ago, was recently granted immediate eligibility by the NCAA. Now, Mannix was a freshman All-America two years ago. Um, he'll have three years, uh, or I'm sorry, he'll have two years 
remaining left at Texas Tech, but that'll start this year. And with uh, Matt Wells, uh, and I'm sorry, he came from Nevada, not Utah State, so I misspoke there. But um, joining former Utah State coach Matt Wells at Texas Tech, I think that that's a good fit for him. I think it's definitely uh, a bonus for the for the texters. Um, and then Dejan Brissett, uh, who transferred from Richmond and originally started at uh, Illinois, withdrew like many other players out in Champaign uh, who transferred in. Uh, decides to go to University of Virginia. He and also Terrell Chapman with a T, not one of ours, um, <laughs> who uh, left Arizona State and is rejoining his former teammate Bryce Perkins out at uh, University of Virginia in Charlottesville. Both of them will be eligible immediately. So those are the names at receiver. Bip, who who jumps out to you, and and what are your uh, what are your takes on those guys? Well, I was really surprised by Marcus Sims. Uh, there had to have been a clash with the the coaching staff. Yeah. Of course, it's speculation on my part, but he was one of the guys that I uh, highlighted on one of our previous podcasts of someone who I thought was really going to step up this year for the Mountaineers. Yeah. He would have been their number one receiver. And even last year as the third option had 699 yards, two touchdowns, averaged 15.2 yards per catch. So does he go the FCS route so he can play immediately, immediately this year? Because I can't imagine he's going to get a hardship waiver to be uh, eligible immediately. Or does he maybe wait until 2020 to be reunited with Dana Holgerson in Houston? Um, or or where's he headed to? Um, Martel Petway, that's a big loss for Arkansas. They're already thin at uh, playmakers on this team. Led the uh, Razorbacks in catches and yards. Finished second in touchdowns. Uh, so a huge get for Iowa State, as like you said, um, helps ease the loss of Hakeem, uh, Hakeem Butler. Mm-hmm. But Clayton Maddox is an interesting case as he was highly productive at Nevada the last two years. At least 50 catches each of his last two years, 780 or 777, 78, sorry, yards as a freshman, 875 yards last year to go with a combined 13 touchdowns, also averaged 17 and a half yards per catch yeah. last year. I really would have liked to have seen what he could do in a Cliff Kingsbury-led offense, but uh, a really good get for Texas Tech nonetheless. And Dejan Brissett is an interesting one here. Um, looking into to some of his stats, now, mind you, this was at Richmond, so lesser competition, but led the team in receiving in 2017. Only played three games last year due to injury, but good receiver and kick returner was on pace for a huge year. Uh, in one game alone last year, he had 286 all-purpose yards, including uh, a 94-yard, I believe, uh, kick return for a touchdown. Um, and Chapman didn't move the the needle much for me. Three catches and 28 yards combined the past two seasons for Arizona State. Yeah. Um, but uh, another another body for the uh, uh, for Virginia to have there at uh, wide receiver, Chapman. Yeah, and that's really just one of those. It's a power five name, albeit it's uh, you know a lesser power five name, and I think that that's right. where um, you know it kind of headlines a little bit. Uh, going back to Mannix, I I'm a big fan of David Yost, the offensive coordinator, who's now at Texas Tech, and I'm a big fan of Matt Wells. I, I think that they've done really good things at Utah State in a short time. Mm-hmm. Um, I see that they can probably do about as well, if not better than Cliff Kingsbury did at Texas Tech. Um, maybe not to the Mike Leach uh, production, but um, you right. know when Mannix and the Nevada Wolfpack went to Evanston to play Northwestern two years ago, 
as a true freshman, he wowed me. I mean, the guy has, um, you know, he's, he's a tough receiver. He'll go up and get it. He's got, uh, I hate to say this term deceptive speed, but you know, he's, he's just very (laughs) shifty. Um, I mean, and I don't say that because he's white. I say it because, you know, he's, uh, he's, he's one of those guys who's just really built and stocky. He's not, you know, tall and lanky where he's just got long strides, but he, he moves really well and he's very fluid. So, um, you know, right. I, I, I'm interested to watch him. And, and when I saw that, I, I kind of was, you know, thinking that's, that's a plus for Texas tech. And I was hoping he was eligible this year, um, because I wanted to see, you know, how he would do right away. And, and so I think that's a good move by the NCAA and, and certainly benefits Mannix and, and the Red Raiders. Yeah. And, um, I was reading a little bit into it. I don't know too many of the specifics, but I know, uh, family hardship was one of the reasons as to why he moved yep. back to or he's from Texas. So why he transferred to Texas tech. So, uh, one of the, one of the things that the NCAA has gotten right with these hardship waivers. Yep, for sure. And then, uh, real briefly, Noah, who goes from Cal to Nebraska, he had 56 catches, um, in 2017, only had 30 catches last year, but I think he was struggling with injury a little bit. Um, I think mm-hmm. he's he's going to benefit much more by being in that Scott Frost offense than being in uh, the sluggish Cal offense that they that they have right now. Um, Adrian Martinez <laughs> is is they had an offense, better. yeah, right. <laughs> um, so uh, I, I think that's a, a a positive move for him, and uh, you know they've got some good receivers at Nebraska, but they've had some question marks. That's really been one of the, the, the points that people in Lincoln are really looking at. And I think that's just going to bolster that offensive group. Who's going to score 45 points a game anyway. So um, good for Mm him. Kind of rounding out the list of the transfer portal uh, guys here, running back Jordan Brown, who was the leading rusher for the Tar Heels at North Carolina um, two years ago. And, and I say that with an asterisk next to it. I think he was their leading rusher with only like 600 yards. Um, yeah. So, uh, he's going to Kansas state, which is, is good for the wildcats because they've got some issues at running back, uh, looking at their spring game. And we'll get more into this, uh, when we talk big 12 on our next podcast bit, but there's not a lot of confidence in their running back room right now. So this is just another body, somebody else who, you know, maybe can plug and play. And at the very least, maybe they can have a, a, a steady rotation of two or three backs that are capable. Um, and then, uh, yeah, hard to, hard to replace uh, Alex Barnes mm-hmm. and uh, with Brown, he's doesn't wow you much. The longest run of his career is 28 yards, but like you mentioned, big hole to fill in Manhattan and uh, Brown might be the guy for the Wildcats this year. Yeah. And, and I, I feel better about him going in a Chris Kleeman uh, led team with, with that type yeah. of offense that they like, as opposed to what he was, you know, maybe called upon to do with Larry Fedora. We know that they like to spread it out a little bit more and, and the run game was not as much of a focal point. Neither, neither was the offensive line. It was really more kind of that basketball mm-hmm. on grass type offense. So, um, you know, maybe, yep. maybe going to Manhattan will be a new start for Brown and, and that can lead to good things for him and, and KSU. Um, yeah. Drew Richmond, who, put himself in the transfer portal a long time ago for the university of Tennessee offensive tackle. He ended up uh, deciding to go to USC. So again, somebody who went into USC as opposed to leaving, uh, unlike the 19 (laughs) other people who seem like they got out of Dodge in LA Um, five-star offensive lineman who really gets a last chance to reach his potential. Um, You know, a lot was expected out of him, but for one reason or another, and and part of it may have been coaching, part of it may have been injuries, part of it may have just been, um, you know, circumstances. But, uh, you know, he's 
it's it's really going to help the USC offensive line. And I think with new offensive coordinator Graham Harrell, um, he's going to be in a system where he'll he'll be made to look good because his quarterback is probably going to look good. The offensive numbers will look good. Um, so I think that this is really a a positive move for him as he's looking to uh, build a draft card for himself. Yeah, 25 career starts, and as you mentioned, someone that's going to hopefully, for the Trojans' sake, give JT Daniels a little more time to throw the ball. Um, and moving over to USC from Tennessee, gets a fresh start. May not ever fulfill the full potential that he had coming out of high school, but uh, always nice to get uh, a player of his uh, body type and his size to plug in on the offensive line that has that experience for uh, the Trojans there. Yep. And just so people don't think that we discount special teams, uh, we do have a punter who was in the transfer portal and not for long, um, but also punter Wade Lees, Lees, College Park, Maryland, and decides to go down to L.A., the the side of L.A., to play with for the UCLA Bruins and coach Chip Kelly. Now, Lees is a guy who uh, was a three-year <laughs> punter for the Terrapins. He averaged uh, 3.9 yards per punt last year. Uh, but was really good at controlling his kicks and dropping them inside the 20. Um, so a pretty good get for the Bruins there. And I'm done speaking Aussie now. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and like you mentioned, um, similar to Michigan State getting a heart burger back this year. Always nice when you can roll into a season and have a three-year starting punter um, at the helm as that's uh, as we've mentioned before, special teams are one of those things that uh, if everything's running smoothly, people kind of almost forget about them and you don't really notice them until things are starting to go bad. So uh, nice get there for the Bruins. And I can tell you uh, from experience and from, you know, years of wisdom watching the game, a lot of people will look immediately to place kicker and then a good return specialist. So somebody who can return punts or kicks for touchdowns and in a place kicker who can boom it from 50 plus yards, but your best asset on special teams from an individual standpoint is your punter. Because if you don't have a punter that can get your defense, uh, you know, give your defense some room and get your offense out of a jam and, and kind of flip the field position game, um, that spells big problems. So, uh, you know, that, that is a, a very important position and a very good get for, for Chip Kelly and the Bruins. Yep. Well, we're Huey Lewis, and that's the news, folks. Um, albeit now it's old, you're brought up to speed on the relevant workings of the NCAA football world and how it will likely affect the landscape, big or small. That's our work, so come back to us next time, but make this podcast work for you. Download or subscribe and follow us on any of your favorite platforms, Apple iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, Stitcher, Breaker, whatever fits best. We know you'll be joining us again, but in the meantime, feel free to check out some of our previous episodes that you may have missed or want to revisit as you patiently wait in college football passing. And again, the best thanks and praise we can receive is by you sharing and spreading the good word to continue to make a bowl full of chips, the best growing college football podcast out there. And uh, by the way, BIP, today marks the 100 day mark until the kickoff between the Gators and the Canes and the Wildcats and the Warriors. So got that to look forward to. Yep, we will be down into double digits tomorrow morning my friend exciting so uh remember you can also interact with us on twitter and give us a piece of your mind so it's time to take a knee i'm chappy and i'm bip and we'll be back with you soon on our next episode we bring you up to speed to the big 12 with our bfc spring reports from the heartland 
Oklahoma, Texas, TCU, Iowa State, and all the Big 12 programs vying for that trip to Dallas. They'll all get covered on our next cast. And don't forget about our website coming this summer with pre-2019 previews and picks to pit us up against others. So good night. Give us a shout for BIP and BFC. I'm Chappie. Lights out. <laughs>